Uh, turn in our Bibles to Matthew 28. And then while you're turning in your Bibles to Matthew 28, also turn to page 935. That's chapter 25, section 3 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. First read Matthew 28, the Great Commission, starting at verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Chapter 25 of the church, section 3. Unto this Catholic visible church, Christ hath given the ministry, oracles, and ordinances of God for the gathering and perfecting of the saints in this life to the end of the world, and doth by his own presence and spirit, according to his promise, make them effectual thereunto. Let's pray. Our blessed God, help us, we pray, to, to heed those means of grace that you have given in your church. We pray especially that you would help us to heed your holy word. Help us to heed the ministries of the church. And we pray that you would help us as well in all that we do to love the saints, um, to build up um, the church. We pray that you would help us um, for the purpose of gathering and perfecting of the saints in this life. And we ask for these things, for we pray it in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. There's an older hymn by a man named uh, Philip Bliss. He, he died in the year 1876. And it has the following words. Free from the law, O happy condition, Jesus hath bled, and there is remission. Cursed by the law, and bruised by the fall, grace hath redeemed us once for all. It's an interesting, uh, a catchy little tune there, and a catchy poetry, you could say. And there are ways, there are ways that those who are saved by grace, those who have a true, sincere faith in Jesus Christ, that we are free from the law. Those who have faith in Christ, we are free from the curse of the law or from our sin, sin which is a failure to keep the law of God, right? Um, but we're also free as Christians from being judged by the law as a standard on that great day of judgment. Um, because for the believer, Jesus Christ has paid for our failures to keep that law. He's washed our record clean but he's also obeyed the law perfectly for us and accounted his record as our own, 
So the standard by which we will be judged is not based on the law. It's based upon whether we had saving faith in Christ or not, whether we truly believed in him as our Lord and Savior and that we lived for him. But that's as far as it goes. This hymn talking about free from the law, O happy condition, we're not absolutely free from the law as Christians. We are not free from the law as a holy standard of living. We are not free from the law in the sense that Christ commands us to obey that law. And if we are members of a church and we don't care to keep the the law of God, it might mean that the church would discipline someone and make them no longer a member of the church. And we'll look a little bit more at that. So we are not free from the standard of the law as a standard of holiness, according to the Great Commission. Look again at Matthew 28, um, starting at verse, the middle of verse 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of churches want to emphasize that part of the Great Commission but they don't emphasize as much what follows, especially in verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As we read in this Confession of Faith, chapter 25, section 3, it takes the Great Commission, especially verse 20, seriously. It says in section 3, of, it says, unto this Catholic visible church, Christ hath given the ministry, the oracles and ordinances of God for the gathering and perfecting of the saints in this life. Now that is a super rich statement that needs a lot of unpacking. Um, so the first thing we were looking at, it, what does it mean for the gathering of the saints Um, That's what Jesus said to do. Go, therefore, and and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So this is a call that we are to go out and preach the gospel. The church is to go and preach the gospel to people of all nations, tribes, and tongues. This is why we ought to support foreign missions, because it's what the Great Commission teaches. That God is not interested in only missions here in the United States. He's interested in missions to the ends of the earth. We are to long to see Habakkuk 2.14 come to pass. That, That verse is written there in your outline. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now think about what happened since the time of Jesus and his disciples. Jesus began with a very small band of believers. Now the faith of Christ extends to every continent, upon every land, but I would say not to every tribe, tongue, and nation. I mean, not to every tribe and tongue necessarily. There are some areas and there are some uh, indigenous peoples that have still not yet been reached with the gospel. There are many people in our land, in, our, in the United States, that still need to be reached with the gospel. There's a long way to go in seeing Habakkuk 2.14 fulfilled. 
Romans 11, 25-26 says this. And this is, uh, this is what is considered a New Testament prophecy. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So all Israel will be saved. Now, the classic interpretation of this passage is that when God brings in the fullness of the Gentiles, now what is that going to be? Well, we know for sure that it would be that every tribe, tongue, and nation have been reached. Does it mean that every person of every tribe and tongue and nation will be reached? No, there will always be some who believe and some who don't. But when that fullness comes in, that the blindness that happened to Israel, in part, the covenant, old covenant people that are now blind to the gospel, will one day be removed and that God will bring in many. But the first contingency is that this fullness of the Gentiles comes in. Some call it a provoking to jealousy. They'll be provoked to jealousy, and then we'll see a revival, not just in the Jews in the Promised Land, but Jews maybe in the United States, Jews in Russia, Jews throughout the world. Jews are many, many Jews in America. You could see a revival of the gospel being received, that that blindness will be removed, that they will finally see Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Now, some in the Reformed Presbyterian camp don't like that older interpretation. They basically say that Romans 11 has been already fulfilled, this section of Romans 11, it's already been fulfilled in the sense that many Jews have already come and that there's a remnant that has already come and that we're not to expect more than the remnant. And, that, and they even go further to say that the true Israel of God is not back in the promised land. The true Israel of God is the church, which I agree with that in the sense that the church, those who have true faith are sons of Abraham. So we are, you could say, the Israel of God. However, the text of Romans 11 makes a big distinct distinction between Gentiles and Israelites and blindness to the Israelites and why did it happen and what's God's plan. And then it talks about the plan. Now, I have here um, something that agrees with my, what, or hopefully, um, what I would call the optimistic view rather than the old pes- the, this newer pessimistic view. And it's from uh, Westminster Larger Catechism 91. I believe it shares my optimistic view. That says, what do we pray for in the second petition? Answer, in the second petition, which is, thy kingdom come, acknowledging ourselves and all mankind to be by nature under the dominion of sin and Satan. We pray that the kingdom of sin and Satan may be destroyed, the gospel propagated throughout the world, the Jews called, the fullness of the Gentiles brought in. It's pointing there to Romans 11, and I believe it, a hopeful, optimistic understanding of Romans 11. By the way, if you want to hear more of what the Great Commission involves, Westminster Larger Catechism 191 is fabulous. So, again, according to um, this section that we're studying, section 3, chapter 25 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, 
it says that after the disciples are gathered, the church then is next to devote herself to the perfecting of the saints in this life. And that's what Jesus says in Matthew 28, 20, teaching them, the saints, to observe all that I commanded you. This is not the first time Jesus talked about discipleship involving teaching people to obey the law of God. Jesus taught this in two other places, and we're going to turn back to there. Uh, turn back to Matthew 5. For those who might say we're free from the law, they need to consider these passages because we're not free from the law as far as a calling of holiness. Uh, Matthew 5, 17. Jesus says this, Do not think that I came to abolish, abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven." Then later on, Jesus goes on and gives an explanation that the matters of the law, it's not just what you do outwardly, it's what goes on in your mind. So adultery is not just the actual act of committing adultery. If you look upon a woman to desire after her, you're committing adultery. And he goes on to give what I would call the accurate, divine interpretation of the law. Again, that it's not just matters of physicality, it's a matter of the heart. Um, but then the conclusion statement here, um, turn to the end of the chapter, verse 48. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Skip next to Matthew 7, Matthew seven twenty-one. Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. So Jesus has a standard. And the law of God, the word of God, when it talks about, and the confession, when it talks about the perfecting of the saints in this life, it's really talking about sanctification. The perfecting of the saints is talking about sanctification. Now, when Jesus says, be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect, that's the standard. But we have to remember that sanctification, as defined by the Shorter Catechism, is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more 
to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. That's the process of being perfected. It will never be complete. The standard is perfection. God wants us to pursue perfection, but we will never achieve it in this life. Again, if, if someone says that I have achieved total sanctification, that's called perfectionism, and that's considered a heresy, really. Uh, Westminster Confession 25, Section 3. It tells us what the church gives us, the tools, the instruments, the helps for the purpose of gathering and perfecting the saints. It says, Unto this Catholic visible church, Christ hath given the ministry, the oracles, and ordinances of God. And we'll look first at what, what are these. What's the ministry? Um, that includes God giving pastors or uh, you could say teaching elders or gospel ministers, ruling elders, deacons, but also giving a ministry even to the saints. It's not just a ministry for those who are ordained. Every one of us has a, a way that we can minister to others as in the priesthood of believers, witness the gospel, pray for others, intervene for others. Um, but that's the ministry, you could say. The next thing is the oracles of God. When you think, when you hear of the oracles of God, that's synonymous with the Old and New Testament, the Word of God. The Word of God is the oracle of God. The third one is the ordinances of God. An ordinance is something that Christ has commanded. What did Christ command to the church? The, the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. He also commanded, uh, well, God also gives us the means of grace, which is prayer, uh, singing of praise, which is prayer in a, in a uh, a sung form unto the Lord. Jesus also gave an ordinance of church discipline. Uh, Matthew 18, there's that, there's that uh, chapter, entire chapter, devoted to church discipline. And uh, in the measure in which a church has these things, the ministry, the oracles, and the ordinances of God, that's the measure in which we see a true church. A church lacking in these things, in the ministry, in the oracles, or the ordinances of God, does not have as great a mark of a true church. So if someone is looking around and they're trying to decide whether they want to join a church, it's not the, the best decision is not whether or not they have the praise music you like. The best decision is not whether or not they have the programs you like. The best decision is, do they have the ministry according to Holy Scripture, the oracles of God faithfully taught? Do they have the ordinances of God correctly practiced? Now, Christians ought to pursue, again, churches that exercise the ministry oracles and ordinances of God. Now, no church does this perfectly. No church practices all three perfectly. But I believe that it's our goal as a church, it's the goal of the church leadership, and it should be the goal of the members as well, that we would exercise all of these, that we should pursue to do these zealously, to endeavor to do them zealously, the ministry, the oracles, and the ordinances of God. The church ought to seek God's help in exercising these means for the purpose of the gathering and perfecting of the saints in this life. We can grow in, in sanctification, and we must grow in sanctification in this life. 
Westminster Confession of Faith sec, uh, 25, Section 3, it goes on to tell us how Christ doth by his own presence and spirit, according to his promise, make them effectual thereunto. So let's think about that. In the one who exercises ministry, an elder, a deacon, a pastor, in the exercising of your ministry, in the exercising of your witness as a member of the church, ask for the presence and spirit of Christ to help you to make it effectual in whatever you endeavor. In hearing the word of God, the oracles of God, in your personal Bible reading, ask for God, for Christ, his own presence and spirit, according to his promise, to make that effectual to you. In your receiving of the ordinances, especially when a child is baptized and a parent is making a promise to, to train their little ones, and you, you do do that. You make a vow before God as a member of the church baptizing a child that you're promising before God to raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And in so doing and making that promise, ask for the presence and spirit according to his promise to make that effectual. And taking the Lord's Supper. The, old, the Catholic Church had one statement that I do appreciate. Lord, I am not worthy to receive you. There's very, I don't think anybody's ever going to say, well, I'm, I'm 100% worthy. Uh, I'm, oh, yeah, I'm, uh, you know. But at the same time, you know, there, there is a measure in which people should not take the Lord's Supper. But when you partake of the Lord's Supper, and you do so in faith, and you do so lawfully in the church, pray to God for his own presence, that according to his spirit, he would help you, and that he would make that effectual for you to grow in grace. I love that hymn. I know you all love this hymn. Abide with me. It's a very personal hymn. We want God to abide with us on a personal level. And I, we, we should want that. We should pray that. We should sing that for ourselves. But I, I think we should, we should ask for God to abide with us as a church, as a whole. Lord, I pray that you would abide with our elders, our deacons, our pastor. Lord, I pray that you would abide with each and every one of us as we witness the faith, as that we make friends in the community. Lord, I pray that you would abide with us as members of the church, as we seek to receive the oracles of God preached unto us. Lord, that you would abide with us as we take the sacraments. We want God to be with us, and he has promised to be with us and to never leave us nor forsake us. And his promise to abide with us is essential in all of these areas, in the ministry, in the oracles of God, and in, in the ordinances of God, and thereby... God will gather in his elect and he will perfect the saints. He will help them grow more and more into sanctification. Let's pray together. We thank you, blessed Lord, for that great commission that you have given unto us and we pray that you would help us to heed it. But we thank you also as well for those godly men who have um, penned this confession of faith. We thank you for the saints who have come before us, and we pray, Lord, that you would help us to stand upon their shoulders and help us, we pray, to think biblically, to, to receive your word 
in a biblical fashion, to live in accordance with your word, to not take it lightly um, that you have called us to be a holy people. We do thank you that you have removed from us the curse of the law, but Lord, we pray that we would be able to say, like David, Lord, I love thy law, for it is my meditation all the day. Help us, we pray, to love your law, um, to live in accordance to that holy standard, and to shine as lights for your kingdom. And help us, we pray, to receive and trust in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.